Welcome to a bonus episode of Top Lines and Tales, again sponsored by Harbro, where we continue uh, our podcast looking at modern livestock operations and our discussions with Craig Uden from the Dar feedlot in Nebraska and also on the call, Dr. Bob Hoke. There must be a lot of research, uh, Craig, that keeps this outfit at the cutting edge and you'll have a team of advisors, I guess, around and about. Well, I, I, I spend a lot of time on lots of committees and lots of things yet. And, uh, you know, we do some work direct. We're very, very, very blessed in the state of Nebraska have the uh, U.S. Meat Animal Research Center. So we do a lot of work with those folks. Uh, uh, that would be in central Nebraska. And that is one of the large research organizations in the United States for beef production. And so we're always looking at things that they're doing. We spend a lot of time at the university. We're very involved with NCBA and the Nebraska Cattlemen. And we always tried to be an innovator. So uh, my partners, I've got a couple partners that are very active and they, they bring ideas. And, and then we work with the veterinarian people in the vet, veterinarian community. And uh, like right now, we've just been approved on a, a secure beef plan is what they call it. And that would... Uh, take into consideration if we had a disease outbreak, how we're going to handle that so we can continue to ship cattle out of this facility into a into a packing location. So there's lots of things that we're always staying apprised of. Uh, I, I try to hire people that can think out of the box. And and uh, even though I don't run the day-to-day -day anymore, I, I'm, I'm, I'm here every day. So one guy said, you're like the dad of the organization, one of my partners. He says, you... <laughs> You started it, you're still here. You let everybody else run it, but you oversee. Uh, keep it within the sideboards of the wagon. So, uh, I know, yes, I can imagine that. It sounds like you still live and breathe the, the, this this outfit, and uh, it's a massive, massive credit yeah. to you. Yeah, well, I've got... I got cows. I got. I got lots of things going on right now. I so. can tell. I can tell. And, and and we mentioned a man, John Schrader, would be right in pronouncing his name. Is the farm manager there now, and he's he, been there he, for, for a he, while and, and and been around the feedlots a while. He would be the feedlot manager. He'd be in charge of the day to day. He's he's got to run the help, and he's got to find the find the ingredients and secure all that. That's his charge. I can give him all the direction, but. They, they're, they're the ones that make the rubber hit the road. And like I said, I've been pretty well blessed with a lot of employees. I've got a lot of employees that have been with me over 30 years that uh, have stayed on. Uh, and, uh, we, and we're always training new ones, too. So, But uh, we sometimes take for granted how sophisticated and how, how well we do compared to lots of different businesses out there. We're, we're pretty solid. And that starts really with the ownership. The ownership is basically... Uh, there's five of us families uh, that have been part of this operation since the 80s, and, and that hasn't changed. So you've got a good core base to, to pass on to your, your employees. It's a uh, people business, isn't it? Uh, you know, people that, that have been in there a while, it's a lot of it. It's about experience. Well, yeah. My motto has always been people do business with people. And uh, my other motto has always been you take care of your customer, your customer will take care of you. Absolutely. Two, two brilliant rules to, to apply by. And let's move on a little bit to the business end. And I'm talking mm -hmm. about the beef here. And uh, where, where does Dar have the cattle harvested? Where, where do these animals go to? Well, 
again, we've got processing right here. So about seven miles away, two-thirds of the animals will probably end up, uh, about 70% of the cattle will end up locally. And that's somewhat by design. Uh, we're building animals that the consumer wants to consume. We're building a real high-quality, safe product, and consequently, we kind of know what our target is. And, and back in the day, we used to have a lots and lots of different processors, and and cattle went lots of different directions. And that is not the case anymore. There's, and so we choose to stay fairly close because of freight and stress and and results. And uh, we got good results by by pro- harvesting our cattle fairly close. Now, the NHTC cattle, a lot of those cattle will go out of state, and they'll be on a truck for about four hours. But uh, we usually are hauling them at night when it's cool, and and, uh, those cattle end up uh, going through a different processor uh, in Kansas. So. Okay, and, and, and these meatpacking plants now are, are giant, they these days um, across the nation, and uh, they get a lot of power, don't they, the, the meatpackers? <laughs> well, we saw a lot of this coming back when the industry was tight in the 2013, 11, 12, 13, the last major drought eliminated a lot of cows, and, and the packing facilities shut down some older plants, and, and then as times got better, people put more cattle so we've got a lot of cattle for the amount of uh, production we've had and then this COVID is we've, we've had several perfect storms in here that have really uh, slowed down the harvesting aspect of it and they then they do have a lot of power and and uh, the thing that's probably changed over time and is uh, we used to have 15 different locations we could go and they're all packing plants and then they sold the beef to somebody else and sold it down the way to they eventually got to the retailer today you basically have food companies that own processing plants and and what i mean by that is once they buy the product they break it they package it and they sell it so that is what's changed in the last 40 years dynamics to that as far as people moving from all these different uh, inefficiencies to becoming more efficient but today we have a lot more cattle than we have uh kill capacity for for the moment but it the industry is in the process of right sizing itself today and uh, part of that is due to the liquidation due to the drought there's a tremendous amount of cows going to uh, market right now so but the quality uh, has never been any better as we sit here in in, in nebraska we'll run close to 15 16 percent prime at this location, the Black Angus cow will run closer to 35% prime. We're putting out a pretty good product that's uh, pretty well demanded everywhere. Uh, the U.S. average is running about 82% choice in prime today. So uh, quality is uh, impeccable right now to to satisfy the consumer's needs, and they've got a lot of choices. So uh, then you see branding, and that's that's kind of how the evolution of the packing went into the into the food company aspect. Sure. And, and uh, Bob, I'll bring you in there. Didn't you work with Craig for what you term as value-based marketing system going back into the 90s? Uh, yeah. Well, one, one thing I would, you market lean cattle. I mean, yours is all based off of uh, the percentage of lean they, they will yield. And we, we get priced off of uh, quality and prime is our highest quality choice. 
Then we go down to select and then standards, which are we call no roles because they use it, they won't get graded. And so when he's talking about prime, we're I mean, that used to be about two and a half percent. So I mean that's tremendous numbers. But the thing that used to happen whenever uh, Craig and I kind of first started fooling around with some of those value-based grids, these feedlots, the packer would come in and and Craig would have a show list and he might have four pens on the show list. And the packer would come in and say, I'll buy these four pens for this amount of money. And so one of them might have you know, be really, really good. And one of them might be really, really bad. And they have different owners and they all got paid the same. It was a very poor system. And, and so we came up with a system where they got paid by the actual value of, of what the uh, quality grade and the yield grade and and if there was, you know, cattle that were dark cutters because, you know, they just something happened to them chemically or they were too light and they were too heavy. But they actually got paid for the exact value of what that carcass was. And, and when th these systems started coming in really in the mid 90s is when they started coming in heavy. I mean, Craig was he was uh, all over it and no one could hit a grid better than, than Craig because they also had the power the schedule cattle, which was tremendous uh, because instead of the packer saying, I'm, I'll take these or you feed these two more weeks and I'll, then I'll take them and I'll, I'm going to take all four pens at the same price. <laughs> I mean, then Craig could actually schedule the cattle when he, he thought they were right and boy, he could hit them just, just like a nail. And uh, Craig, what, what do you, what do you, what would you have well, to say we're, about we're that? Trying to, we're, we're trying to do that today as well. Yeah. <laughs> Different well, times. I, in, I assume you're the, doing it a lot better now. Yeah, we are. We're doing very well. Um, back in the day, back in the 90s, they had the hot fat trim. And if you didn't make cattle too fat, then they didn't get trimmed. And you got rewarded for that because it was an it was efficiency. We didn't have the markets for the tallow and all this. And people were wanting cattle that would grade but not be too fat. So mm -hmm. we honed in on that really, really well. And... Uh, we could schedule our cattle, and uh, we could pick up basically $50, $50 a head pretty easy by m managing them cattle to that end point. It worked really, really well. Now, that processing plant burned down, and they restructured some things, and some people were not happy like they aren't today. We were too many numbers again. And uh, so people kind of went away from the, the grid marketing a little bit, but it didn't take long. It just came back in a different fashion. So... Back in those days, you, you, you were looking at 2% prime and maybe 55% choice, and you had a lot of selects. So if you could beat that and you could run 75% choice and, and, and keep them lean, uh, you were making really good money because you were producing what they were wanting, and they didn't have to store it and sort it, and you got rewarded. And today, the target has changed, but... Uh, uh, a little bit now everybody wants the high quality but it's still somewhat of a fat game so you got to go eyeball the cattle i have to be the person to look at the cattle and i look at them usually twice a week just to hone in on what i think is going to be about right to go out on this week next week the week after and then we visit with these folks and we we line it up and then uh we started at the base price like everybody, like the market is, and then we try to work higher than that. And we've, we've been hitting some targets recently that have been really pretty rewarding. And consequently, uh, when you add on some of the other stuff like the BQA and the sustainability, 
Uh, there's some demand out there from a marketing tool for some of the retailers. It's getting partially that that's getting passed back to us too for doing, we're finally getting paid for doing some of the things that uh, uh, we've, we've always done, but we weren't recognized for it. And it's not a big <laughs> step to get there. So we do it. So, good, but uh, that's a good reward eventually. And then uh, we all see that. Sure. Uh, we all see those, uh, those things that we try and do what we think somebody might want. And then eventually they want them and uh, we get paid for it. That's brilliant. And, and um, okay. uh, you, you mentioned the word, uh, um, program cattle earlier on there uh, yeah. just just fill me in what that means uh, um okay well the, the industry is looking for choice and prime cattle to fit different needs okay because like i said earlier these guys aren't just packing plants anymore that sell it on to a, what we used to call a, a a middleman that would carve it up and then bid it out to whoever and they have a specific order from whether whether it be uh the restaurant industry or the uh, uh, the retail industry, that they need so many steaks to be upper two-thirds choice or somebody needs to be prime. And and so we're targeting in on, you know, they're saying, we're going to pay you more if you can produce more of this. So that's where we're honing in. And, and so we design these cattle, well, not design them, we manage them to this endpoint to where we think we have the maximum amount of grading and the least amount of fat and and a weight that we can live with okay mm -hmm. you still have to have some weight you can't because we the one of the challenges of our industry is we buy all cattle at the same same price we market them at lots of different prices because people that are willing to stand behind their product uh can get a nice reward the question mm -hmm. is how much did you have to pay extra at the start of the process it's still very emotional on the buying side and on the on the marketing side it's more targeted for us does some of that come down to genetics uh, um craig i mean is it down to different breeding you, you know our genetics have really improved andy uh when we went through 2011 and 12 in the drought we got rid of a lot of average poorer cattle and uh you kind of fell into place that the cattle that would replace them and the next expansion which was 14 15 16 17 18 uh those cattle were so much better genetically that anybody could be better at producing and now you got to go back and you got to hone in the problem with the genetics is we got the grading and the quality up so high, but we, we still are somewhat challenged as far as the amount of uh, fat that we produce. So we still have to manage that as well. So, but it's getting better. And every time we go through these weather cycles and we come back with a, a better animal, it, it makes it easier to hit those targets. The unique part about this thing is, you know, we were known up here to be the high quality cattle and we still are but when this all took place and the cattle got liquidated the the drought was very severe in the south so the quality of the cattle in the south has really really gotten better so we feed a lot more cattle out of the southern central belt that maybe doesn't have the eye appeal that bob and i would be choosing but the quality grade and the performance of those cattle is so much different today than it was even even 10 years ago that uh, they fit the programs really well. I just wanted to just, just discuss, we were talking about that hot fat trim where, where we started on some of this quality value-based 
and we were going for a lean market. We were having a war on fat. And, and this is nothing against your market. You have a good market, suits your customers. But when we were having a war on fat, we were basically having a war on consumers. We were lowering quality of our product. And our per capita consumption has gone down. And as we improve this quality, well, we, we've started to bring back our co consumers and, and our per capita consumption. So we, we, and we were having hot fat trimmers where we peeled the fat off of them when they were hanging carcasses. We were having cold shortening where the meat got tough. It was just a big problem. And we've really, really made strides to bringing our, uh, our uh, per capita consumption back and our export market has really increased as we brought the quality back into the cattle. So it's really done well for us. Now, your market's your market, and that's great, but I mean, it's, it's the way it works best for us. Sure, sure, and there's different markets for different different worlds, and I, I totally uh, understand that, and uh, yeah, beef with, with a marbling of fat through it, we all know, um, helps the taste better, but uh, nobody wants that stuck on the side of the plate. Let's just move on a bit, guys. Uh, um, Craig, you mentioned sustainability, and that is an issue, and, and that comes at an added cost, doesn't it? And the Cattlemen's Association hat on there. Can can you instill that confidence in in the in the consumer? I mean, it's a growing challenge, isn't it? Passing the cost down to the consumer. Well, I think I think it is. I think um, you know ed education. You know, we people know what they know, and sometimes they don't know as much as you you wish they would. But uh, I think the stories that are being told out there about how People are caring for their livestock all the way from conception to consumption is, is starting to resonate. I think that uh, people understand there's real people that are raising these cattle and handling these cattle. It just it, it's hard to get in front of that 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 major audience. But uh, it seems to you know the the brands are requiring you know whether it be animal well-being or or traceability or different processes that were used to produce this animal those things are all being added in under the brand and 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 you finally have somewhat of a coordinated effort between the retail the packing the the feeding and the and the ranching community as far as recording this information and passing it on and and it might be that simple to to satisfy the customer today and it may be different tomorrow Mm -hmm. But we just have to change as 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 the need changes, you know. The the need is changing, isn't it? The, it the is. consumer market is, is is changing, and the consumer market is is as you said. It, they think they know when they started. They're being fed information about what they should and and shouldn't be looking for within what they eat across the board. And I and I think our beef demand right now is telling you that I, that they're understanding a little bit more of what's going on and, and why it's important. And you have a demographic that's going to want to know where their food's coming from, and you have some that just be happy to have food. So you're really producing for a, a real wide audience out there. Sure. And, and, uh, and, and the ones that, that are demanding the, the, the sustainability should be the ones that are willing to pay a little bit more for the cost of that. And, and they typically are. And uh, that can be whether it's natural uh, yeah, no hormone treated or uh, commodity. There's there, there's there's stories that are being told uh, now, uh, and stories with proof of this is how it was handled and this is this is the way it was done. And and we we face audits. You know we 
we face regular audits from different, uh, whether it be food companies or, or different uh, outfits that uh, we, we have to pass for sustainability or, or beef quality assurance. Uh, we, we have to document that. So then that gets passed on and, and there's a confidence being built that way. But uh, we got a long ways to go, but it, it's getting better. And every time we go through these ups and downs, it seems like it, it gets better all the time. It evolves. We don't know what the next challenge will be, but uh, there'll be some, some way to address it and some way to handle it. That's, that's a, just the way it has to be. It's a hard one staying in front of the curve all the time, isn't it? And yes. Yeah. I'll mention grass-fed beef. There seems to be a lean more towards, or there seems to be a demand for grass-fed beef in, in the USA and UK. Is it, are they competition to you, or are you guys all knit together? Well, the grass-fed beef, it's more coastal. Uh, there's some demand probably uh, middle section of the country, but it continues to grow. But when it's down to 1% or 1.5%, there's different ways to produce cattle uh, for the consumer, whatever the consumer is willing to pay for it. There'll be somebody that can probably raise it. Uh, we don't, I don't see that growth being a, a huge competitor in the U.S., Okay, I think in, probably I'm comparing it to to the UK and Scotland, particularly that uh, you know the demand on beef is becoming more of a grass fed because they believe it's more sustainable. And and again, as you said, maybe they don't have all the information. It truthfully isn't more sustainable because it takes a lot more land usage. And if if they're worried about methane and and the carbon footprint, it actually about triples it. So, but um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to get involved I, in that I, one. I, I, there are other countries that are, are, are can do it more efficiently than we can yes. do it. Yes. Yes. Our, our cost structure is extremely high. Yeah. And uh, that, that's one reason for grass fed. And, yeah. But there's people that are doing it on, on, on certain locations where there's enough available uh, demand and, and, and dollars to make it happen. But uh, Bob's right. There is a lot more efficient uh, countries to make it happen than, than here. And Craig, let's move on. You've passed a lot of this uh, um, incredible knowledge that you have in the industry uh, through to the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, the biggest uh, trade organization in the U.S. And uh, you worked your way up through the ranks there and, until you became uh, the president. And wh what does that entail? What does, it, what does that outfit uh, do? Well, <laughs> it does, does an awful lot. Um, <laughs> tremendous amount of... Uh, you know, one of the one of the greatest things it does is it brings new ideas to the table, and it brings a lot of things, uh, a lot of different aspects of how production is from one end of the country to the other. And like Bob said earlier, uh, it's amazing what uh, you know how everybody's got to work in their own environment and and their surroundings to make things work. Uh, they do a lot of work as far as protection of personal property rights, uh, constantly looking at opening trade markets, uh, and that's been a, a huge success. Uh, we do a lot of uh, work in Washington, D.C. To, to educate, a tremendous amount of education, because when you look at our government structure, even though there's vast amounts of land to produce livestock on, we're very low populated areas. So there's very few people that are making laws and, and direction of our country that understand agriculture. So a lot of time and effort and money is, is spent educating those uh, legislatures in order not to uh, 
create an issue with agricultural production. And so those are the main things on the political side that they're working on. And a lot of it is education. And my tenure, that's what I wanted to do is I wanted to find out uh, how people produce their beef in their settings and educate them about uh, things that were some of the changes that were coming down the way. And uh, we kind of understood that when these packing plants closed, these processors closed in the in the 2013, 14 era, that we would have some issues down the way, and we're facing them today. Now, we're seeing, uh, we're, we're also, right now, they're working on uh, whether, whether you can go farm to fork and have uh, some of these states be able to sell beef direct to the consumer, because a lot of people do like to know where their beef comes from, and there's been a since the pandemic, that has become a big, big item out there. It certainly but, has, uh, and it has has been on our side as well. And we've spoken to a few people previously in, in, on our podcast who are doing that now, and people uh, coming to the farm gate and and, and buying that uh, that product directly where they know where it's come from. Um, you also would have been involved with that hat on with the beef export market from the U.S. and uh, sure. you, where does the U.S. ship to now? Where, where, where are your big markets? Japan's always been a huge market for us. We ship a lot of product to Japan and, and really into that whole Pacific Rim. Korea has been a very successful uh, location for us to, to export product. China has become a, um, when, when I was president, I went over to China and we signed the, uh, the opening of beef going back into China. And that, uh, that, could, that could become our largest export market this year. That's a massive market and a, and a huge opportunity for many different types of product to go over there. Mexico and Canada, we still trade a lot with. And our South American markets, uh, we've been trading a lot of high-quality beef, uh, grain-fed beef, into some countries that are more notoriously known for their uh, grass-fed uh, programs because there's a demand down there in South America, whether it be yeah. Brazil or, or some of those those countries as well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, those are some of the bigger ones, but I think the important thing is is opening more countries. And, and if you look at it, there's probably uh, more and more countries that are opening up. They might be small markets today, but, you know, uh, we weren't getting anything into mainland China. Now, all of a sudden, that's going to become a large market for us. So sure. the EU, we continue to work with and and. Uh, we host a lot of people over here in Nebraska from over there, and they love our product. But uh, there's 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 always challenges, and 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 getting around the non the uh, non trade barriers is always a challenge. But uh, <laughs> over time, then those two those two uh, eventually get uh, resolved. It just isn't as fast as people would like. Sure, on the non-trade barriers, you're probably looking down my barrel here and uh, talking about the, the the UK market. And do you see them as a target? Uh, um, the UK market. I think there's a little bit of fear going on from from some of our UK producers that you guys are going to flood the UK with cheap beef. Uh, is, is that going to happen? I would say that there's always that potential that we're going to uh, look at every aspect and and try to develop trade and. Uh, but if we move into there, it won't be cheap beef. <laughs> you know, it, it won't it'll be, be cheap. Expe- yeah, it'll be expensive beef. 
Uh, it'll it'll, 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 be, it'll be expensive and it'll be good. So yeah, my uh, my, my Scottish uh, um, contemporaries will will say that Scotland produces the best beef in the world. So we'll we'll leave that um, jousting tournament for for another day's <laughs> argument. No, I'm just talking about price. I'm not, it's <laughs> up to the consumer to decide what they want to eat. But sure. uh, it, it will be sure. a different product than what you produce, and it will not be an inexpensive product. It, it'll, it'll be a different product. Yeah. Sure. Let's move on. Let's let's move on for a second to the people who who don't want us to eat beef. We've got a massive um, vegan movement gathering pace through the media in in uh, UK, and I think it's a worldwide thing. And and there's new plant-based meat products coming out uh, all the while. They're, they're starting to cause a bit of a bit of a problem in the market. Is it the same in the US as it is in the UK? Craig, is that a concern? Well, it's a big concern to our producers. It always has been. And uh, you know it, it, it's gained some market share. Uh, it continue, it'll continue to gain some market shares in some some markets. Uh, some potential issues will be out there, of course. And today the product doesn't really compare. It does compare maybe in certain aspects, but when the, when you get into the nutritional side, uh, um, it, it it won't compare to beef. And, and it, it's always going to be a challenge. But you know it's about choice and and. The thing is, I think they're, they're not going to go away. They have never went away. They've gotten better at what they do. It's something that needs to continue to keep us on guard to be producing a product that uh, is so so wonderful and safe that it uh, can ward off those challenges as well. But it can rest on their laurels and say, you know, we, we used to be the hay capital of the world right here in this county. And people said, you know, hay is hay. And we produce lots of quantity but we didn't have the quality and eventually we lost that and, and so you can't rest under your laurels i mean that's what really sustainability is sustainability is ever ever changing and stepping up to the challenge and addressing the issues and, and moving forward so if we continue to keep managing our quality and, and making improvements in genetics and management and uh, and safety and, and opportunity in our product then I'm not as worried about it. If if we rest on our laurels and say, "Well, we've we've hit our goal," then then I think that's when you have to worry about it because sure, sure, nothing yeah. ever stops in this world. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're we're here today, and there's something new tomorrow. So throw in pandemics, and you don't know what's going to come out of it. But uh, when the meat cases with the demand we have today, and the prices that we're that uh, people are willing to pay for our product, I'm not as worried about it today. But then. We, like I said, we cannot, uh, we we can't take a misstep and have uh, issues with quality, and and we have to satisfy the consumer. And there's a lot of consumers out there, and we just got to stay ahead of it. These things are sent to keep us honest. I hope, and and uh, while we're on that, that that subject of challenges the environmentalists now are, are all talking about how the beef industry is destroying our planet and uh, yeah, i'm sure the same is happening in the u.s and we've got mm -hmm. people from the scandinavia and what have you standing there and spouting unfounded facts and and uh, we've just mm -hmm. got to stand stand by what we do and and and, uh, and and keep it right well i think we do and and <clears throat> i think that we have to continue to improve i mean I won't argue that you know we our carbon footprints went down immensely since 1960. It's went down tremendously since 1975. So it just gets better and better. But that doesn't mean that we've we've crossed the finish line. We can be more efficient, uh, whether it be reproductive uh, 
aspects on our cow herd, uh, less time on feed or, or whatever we need to do. But uh, when it gets in the political arena, that's why it's so important to keep educating people about the actual facts instead of uh, hearsay. Absolutely, and education is the key because there's a lot of uh, lot of strange things that have been talked about by people with an agenda. Let's move on uh, um, from that subject because uh, A, the time's moving on, and B, um, I'll be getting uh, uh, emails from people. Let's move on, uh, Craig. Uh, you also run a cooperation of your own, um, and that's fairly nearby to Dar. Is it still in, in the valley there? Yeah, the, the base is. We run a lot of cattle, corn stalks in the winter, and then uh, they're they're going to grass right now. And then they'll the bulls will be turned out, and then they'll they're they're basically roughage. They spend about five months on the uh, on grass, and they spend about five months in the corn stalks foraging, and then uh, uh, we bring them in and uh, through the calving process, and it's just a cycle back back over again. So. The, the corn stalks we're talking about, the, these are um, the stalks from the the corn that's been cut. Are they still standing or, or are they uh, on the ground? It depends on the machine, but there's usually uh, uh, 10 to 12 inches of stalk that is still standing from after the harvesting. And then all the leaves and the shucks and all the all, all the forage material that that is in corn production is out there to forage through and there will be some ear lossage you know be some ears that drop off the corn stalk so when, when it was standing they'll pick that up as well so we, we let those cattle go out there and forage that and um, then we'll add some protein out there and just uh, they will they will forage on them stocks uh, in in this country we can run about a cow per per acre for 30 to 40 days and then we move them onto a fresh field and we just do that through the process uh, usually in, in in October November December January February and then they come in and and uh, have their babies and and go back out into the go back in, out to grass you make that sound a very simple operation, but uh, I, I'm privy to the numbers there. How how many cows are you running there, Craig? Well, we we run about uh, two thousand head, and my team, my my man, and, and some labor that we hire, and, and soon to be my son or my my son-in-law is moving back, so he'll be part of that team as well. They'll manage those cattle, and and basically they just need to be looked after, and and um, you know they need their vaccinations and. It, it is it is challenging during uh, calving because there's a lot of babies being born, and we like to get those calves uh, vaccinated and make sure they're healthy and watch them until they go to grass. And then mm-hmm. we will wean those calves in the fall, and they will go. Some of them will go back on forage, and some of them will go into what we call these outside uh, growing lots. And then those cattle will be fed out, and some will be retained as uh, the next set of cows. And it is a lot of work. Um, and about half the cows uh, managed by other other folks that I, uh, I I work with. You know, this this whole agricultural deal is about relationships and building relationships, whether it be my customers or or be uh, anything's about relationships. So I work with a lot of lot of different uh, people to get these cows calved, and then we we go to grass. Sure, and the cows calved. You say you bring them home. Are they coming undercover there, or are they just coming back just near the near the farm? When when they come in, we we've, we've got lots of shoulder belts, and and we do have buildings. And you know, when if the weather gets extreme, we move those cows through that barn, 
as they're having babies and and so we have we have options and we have some tree grows and and different parcels there that we those cattle can get out of the weather we don't see a lot of moisture typically that time of year we will see more cold weather and wind so we don't like them to be in the barns real long because then you can if you get too many bodies in there you, you if you get a disease outbreak you could you could run through your calves pretty good so we like to get sure. them get them in get them calved get them out let their mama take care of them and and go on her way can i ask what breed are we running here well we 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 do uh angus whether it be black angus or red angus and semitol cross so we we use red and black semitol bulls and 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 red and black angus bulls as well so we'd like to see about a 25 to 30 percent continental cross in those calves and, and the rest being angus sure and you're not running those as as uh, what we'd call pedigree i don't think you guys actually have such a thing as as pedigrees but you're not running those cows as pure uh, cows this is all just a purely uh, um, a my, my mine is a was, is a commercial operation yeah uh, and um we have a lot of good genetic purebred operators uh, within the country and some awful good genetics to pick from. So, um, again, those relationships are, are, are how we build build things and, and how we work together. And I think that's that's the key in this whole agricultural deal is working together. and. And uh, I'm, I'm helping take, helping each other out. So I'm going to take a stab in the dark here and say, where do you sell your calves to? And I imagine they probably go to into the Dar feedlot, do they? They do, and I retain those. I retain that ownership, and and actually, I'll be shipping my uh, first set of last year's calves uh, tomorrow. So tomorrow will be where the rubber meets the road, and we'll see how they. Uh, how they performed in the feed yard and how they performed for the for the processor uh, how many of those going through tomorrow just just about 70 head it was just the very big end and then we we've sorted those cattle on on different sizes and so it gives me uh four marketing windows on the steers and 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 three marketing windows on on my heifers and then i, I actually have three herds in this in this number and then my other my other herds have got them sorted up as well so um <laughs> you don't you don't do things by halves here Craig, I have to say. well so. I, you know <laughs> the reward is actually you know it's it, it, it's doing the right thing and at the right time and, and managing those cattle as as individuals so um i've i've got the third I'm talking about is where I take a lot of my replacements where I'll keep the cows and my other herd will be the one that'll be strictly a terminal cross. I, I will not retain any heifers for that herd. I'll just either purchase them or take them out of the other herd to, to build that herd. So, <laughs> Andy, can I, can I interject one thing? I know you can cut it real quick, but isn't it, isn't it wonderful that, that he is grazing those, those corn stalks five months so a lot of that corn is going to make ethanol for our gas. Yep. And then the, uh, the distiller train are being fed back to the feedlot. I mean, boy, we're making t tremendous use out of these crops that, I mean, it's just really a, a wonder how, how much we, we do soup to nuts on. There's nothing wasted, let's say. Completing the circle, you really are. When we're done with that, then the manure gets spread back out on the land as well. Well, I, I think between us, we've had a, 
a, a hugely interesting uh, conversation and, and Craig I thank you so much for the time we said we'd do an hour we've done a little bit more than that um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, every bit of this has just been fascinating to me and I, I know our listeners on Top Lines and Tales podcast will be uh, equally fascinated on this on both sides of the water uh, and it sh- highlights I think and shows that there is uh, uh, a difference between the beef producing industry in the UK and the one in the US, but it also shows that there's similarities too. Is particularly that there are the challenges that uh, beef production presents to to all of us. It's been an interesting chat, and and I've been uh, happy to be here. And uh, yeah, I think it doesn't really matter. It's all about uh, caring for the animals, whether it be here or there. Uh, we all have the best interest in mind, and that's that's why we do what we do is to feed feed a uh, a growing world that uh, needs high quality, safe product that uh, is very nutritious that benefits benefits those folks. I you know I think it's just wonderful that we are taking all these products that that can't be I I mean some of the corn certainly can be taken to to humans but basically most of what's going into the beef over there and here it cannot be harvested any other way and we're making nutritious product in beef for humans this and uh, gosh it's just a wonderful system that that we can convert all this forage and all these things into wonderful high quality protein and, and you're doing it there we're doing it here and it, it's good for the it's good for everyone <laughs> It's, that's brilliant. I think that's a party political broadcast on behalf of the Beef Producers Party. Yeah, absolutely superb. And um, Craig, or both of you, we're planning a Top Lines and Tails cow tour next year with some of our UK listeners to head off to the US. And, and uh, we may uh, look you up and come for a look-see at, uh, at what goes on at DAR. Okay, that would be wonderful. And Bob, one quick question. You're a writer like myself, and uh, how's your book going on the history of the shorthorns? It's gone really well, but the, I mean, it's a great book, but I mean, it, it, I mean, it goes into detail. Craig, you'll really enjoy it. I mean, it, it goes into detail from the 1700s of the American beef industry. We've gone in like a tick, uh, you know, in different aspects, but it's, uh, but boy, now we're, now we're in a, in a panic mode to get this done. The production schedule just got all fouled up. Talking at time, Craig, you must be a busy man with that amount of well, businesses going on. I really appreciate it. We, we asked you for an hour, and I've had two hours of your time, and they've been excellent two hours. I really have, uh, and I really thank you for, very much for your time. Well, I, I thank you as well. Well, have a good day, guys. You take thank, care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. All right, cheers. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, which was kindly sponsored by Harbro, suppliers of quality commercial and pedigree feeds and expert nutritional advice. Visit their website or find them on Facebook for more information. And while on the subject of Facebook, why don't you visit the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page, where you'll find photographs and more information to back up this episode.